song of love is a song of woe. I've been in love and I know. Highly he, highly he, I low. That was beautiful, Mom. Thanks, honey. I think um, you used to sing that song to me when I was a little kid. Yeah, I love that song. No wonder I thought love would be really difficult. (laughs) (laughs) That's my mom. And I'm your host, Rebecca Garza-Bortman, and this is Season 2 of Advice from Mom. Welcome back, dear listeners. I hope you missed us. I hope they missed us, too. I'm not hoping for like hole in the heart levels of missing, but you know, I wouldn't mind if uh, our listeners opened their podcast app today and said something like, Joy of joys. <laughs> Why would you look? There's my favorite pod mom, Mama B. Perfect. The kind of the casual enthusiasm, huh? Yes. And we have very good news for those advice enthusiasts. Advice from Mom will be bringing you this joy of joys, not once a month, but every week. All a part of our effort to mother a mentally healthier world every day. (laughs) Always near to you. Always near to you in the most uncreepy way possible. No, not not in a creepy way. Not, not a, no. Also not in like a theme way. It's been really fun to explore all these big life issues in season one. But for season two, we can't be held back. I mean, we don't want you to be held back. I mean, like, say you're having a tumultuous affair with your barista, and what if we were just, like, answering all these questions about how money makes people feel? You might not feel like you could send in that question, but we want you to. We want you to send in all the questions. Yes. And the money one, too. I think that would be really interesting to explore. Yes, yes. I mean, those episodes might be even, like, back-to-back. I mean, that's a fun part, is that we don't know where this is going to go because you haven't sent us your question yet. But more on that later. We have a beautiful letter that we're diving into today from a listener who's willing to be vulnerable, even after she's been through some really tough life situations. Also, don't worry, we are still going to overmother every single question we answer on the show. Every question will still be served three heaping doses of advice. First, you'll hear from psychologist and family therapist with over 35 years of experience, known to her clients and some postal carriers, as Dr. Elizabeth Skabinski-Bortman. That will be followed by yours truly giving Mama Bee PhD a hard time in our favorite cross-country sport, mother-daughter pickleball. In honor of my mama's favorite sport. And then it'll be time for a second opinion, because it is always a good idea to get a second opinion. And this second opinion comes from a woman that Ira Glass has referred to as the LeBron James of couples therapy. I know nothing about basketball, but I know everything about how I feel about this woman, and I think she's amazing. And I think you'll think that too. Oh, and also, since this episode has double the therapists, I really need to remind you that this podcast is for informational purposes only. It's not intended for diagnosis or treatment of any medical or psychological condition. All treatment decisions should be made in partnership with your health professional. All right, with that in mind, Mama, are you ready for the first question of the next level second season? Yes. All right, let's read that question. Dear Mama B. What do you do when your partner finds your vulnerability unattractive? 
I've been married for four years to a really thoughtful and sincere guy. We just had our second child. We've weathered many big life challenges together. First an unplanned pregnancy, then university with an infant, and we've both had bouts with depression. Our first daughter had to have stomach surgery and our new baby recently sustained a skull fracture. Luckily, things are going well now and we're all back to good health. But my husband and I have felt disconnected from one another. I've been trying to talk more about our vulnerabilities. I love Brene Brown's work on this topic. It's literally been life-changing for me. When my husband admits his fears to me, I feel so connected to him. Like my love really deepens. But after much cajoling on my part, he admitted that the main thing that attracted him to me when we were dating was my confidence and self-assuredness. Now that I'm expressing more of my insecurities, he finds me less attractive and feels like I'm not the woman he married. What do I do with this? We are both committed to this relationship and I want to be everything he needs, but I also have needs. How can I be confident for him, but also vulnerable and genuine about my insecurities and fears? Sincerely, heart left hanging. Here's some advice from my mom. Hello, heart left hanging. I'm so proud of you that you're asking this question early in your relationship. You're doing that now will nip this problem or this issue in the bud before it turns into a power struggle. As you probably know, big life events disrupt and change everything. So you had a baby, you had a second baby, you had serious medical issues with both of the children. Each one of those stressors by itself could probably disrupt and change things in a way that makes it very difficult for both of you. So really what amazes me is that you two are still talking to each other about the important stuff that's on your mind. And the other thing that's wonderful is that you describe him as thoughtful and sincere. And uh, both of those are good news, what I call your strengths as a couple and as individuals. Yeah, it's true that you don't like the answers that you're getting from him. When you feel disconnected, it's difficult to step back and figure out what's going to make it better. Certainly, Brene Brown's ideas are extremely useful to many women. But those ideas may not be helpful right now to you and your husband to help you get unstuck. When you heard his words about less attractive, you were hurt. And maybe his words made you think he's currently disappointed with you self-disclosing uh, about vulnerability. So it was basically a, not a good experience for you and probably not for him either. But basically you were hurt. But let me suggest that his words could really have some other meanings other than the way you've interpreted them. So maybe he's not ready for you to talk about vulnerabilities. 
And maybe he likes you when you're self-confident and strong, but you are not strong and confident right now, so he's getting scared. Or, or maybe he hates sharing you with the kids. Maybe he's saying, I'm disappointed with you because you're not interested in sex as you used to be. Many men feel abandoned when the baby comes. Maybe he's overwhelmed himself. My hunch is that his words may just be his way of saying he'd like to have things change back to how they were before you had all those stressors. So I invite you to get curious and to learn more about his psychology, his history, his life before you met him. And the best way to do this is to, of course, you'll be asking him questions at times, but if he's reluctant to answer, just let it go. By becoming an observer, you really have a different perspective. So I invite you to step back and become an observer. Then if you do have to tell someone about your insecurities, maybe tell your girlfriend, your sister, your therapist, your diary. I believe that the two of you are doing many things right. Just to name a few, you personally had the courage to talk about your insecurities It's what I call an experiment. I invite you to think of it as an experiment. You tried something maybe that you'd never tried before, and you need to notice the results. The results were not what you had wanted. So maybe this experiment just tells you "Mm, that's not such a great way to interact with him. Another uh, pat on the back for him is that he tells you about his fears. You got through the serious medical problems with the two little kids, and I assume that means that you have some pretty good teamwork. So on the whole, the relationship sounds like it's doing pretty well given all the change and disruption. I invite you to increase or create positive self-talk, what we sometimes call self-affirmations. The talk about good stuff, about successes, about strengths, about things that you think you're doing right. That kind of talk is very, very helpful when you're stressed. Most of us get down on ourselves, and that really is another impediment to doing well. So that positive self-talk could be to him or to yourself. Consider this that we ought not to convey the message to our mates that we and they are locked in to the roles that have suited us so well previously. So everything and everyone changes. So for you, I'm asking, can you lower your expectation that you and he will agree on everything? How about you just agree to disagree on a particular topic that's not going very well, so you won't get into a power struggle with him. You'll need to think about these things in a different way. I'm suggesting that you strengthen your support group and you create a life for yourself outside your marriage. 
one of the best ways I can think of for a person in your situation to do this would be to consider joining an organization called MOPS.org. It means Mothers of Preschoolers. And it's a very large organization and has many, many resources. So if you're willing to try something new, how about you get a babysitter and do something together, without the kids, of course, and then take turns picking what activity you'll be doing when you do go out. You can call it a date if you like, but it can be nothing more than just going grocery shopping together or you may not want to spend expend your babysitter on it. grocery shopping, but you might, whatever you do, it's fine. It should just be the two of you and you should just be oriented toward having a little downtime, having a little fun with your mate. Uh, all of these suggestions require flexibility. Flexibility, I believe, is a key in any relationship. Unfortunately, when you're stressed, it's really hard to be flexible. I think our salvation lies in trying new things, allowing change to happen, noticing when change happens, and sometimes even reinforcing the positive changes. As Geraldine, my therapist, used to say, all we know for sure, Elizabeth, is that everything will change. And then I would say, darn it, darn it. And sometimes when I get clients into my office, sometimes they are couples, often they're couples, but not always. Uh, and those clients are under very heavy-duty stress. I say to them, don't make any more changes in your life. Don't even change your dry cleaner right now. And so I say to you, heart left hanging, don't even change your dry cleaner right now. Okay, I guess it's Rebecca's turn to uh, share her thoughts with me and our dear listeners. That could only be the sound of one thing. It's time for Mother Daughter Pickle Ball. Before we get to the match, first a word from our sponsor, HelloFresh. Hello, Fresh. I've given you the go-ahead to make my life great By sending me ingredients that I can then make Into a spectacular meal for two Delivered weekly to my doorstep I don't have to stew Nutritious, delicious I might be superstitious But could it be this confidence I feel with each step Is from the well-designed instruction cards And less than two parts of a mess Being vegetarian I often do find That selection is a tricky beast But with your plans you know I'm fine For example, at this moment I could be Julianning my weekly bestowment Making Satan Tacos El Diablo with kiwi salsa for Le Tablo. What does that even taste like? I mean, like, what does kiwi salsa taste like? I'm about to find out. This is incredible. So thank you, HelloFresh. You've given me ingredients to make supper delish. I don't know how to thank 
thank you Except to have you over For a dish for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com and enter promo code PICKLEBALL30. Let's play Mother Daughter Pickleball. I think you were actually, you were being a little bit modest about how much you like uh, grocery store dates, though. <laughs> well, it's something that certainly appeals to your dad because, you know, we always like to... He and I have very different tastes in food, so he gets a chance to buy what he likes, and I get a chance to buy what I like, and then occasionally we like the same thing, which is wonderful. Going on a grocery store date is your most romantic date? Is that is that a little insight on Mama Bee and Papa Bee's life? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wanted to give a little specialness to something that I've heard you say to several of our listeners when you're talking about change and when they have too many changes in their lives. Mm -hmm. I think you should call it a change freeze. Okay. Or a freeze change. Freeze change. Freeze change. Ooh, freeze change. <laughs> what about that? <laughs> Stick it in the freezer. Um, yeah. Yeah. You like the succinct summary kinds of things. And yes, I, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, it just says to people, like, stop what you're doing and really evaluate what does a change mean to you. I think that's that's the point of the freeze change. Mm -hmm. I think it's very damaging to have so much changing at once. We're creatures of habit, and it's hard. Do you think a lot of the difficult, traumatic things that they went through, that what they're going through interpersonally right now is almost like an aftershock? Sure, that's a very good way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stress alone can make you depressed. So when I read this question, it also reminded me of a little story. Okay. Very early in my relationship with Brian, when we started getting more serious, we went to therapy. Yeah. Like, I think for me, that was one of the things that made me fall even more deeply in love with him was hearing him express his feelings in a way that he never had before. Wow. And for him... Every session was a total boner killer. Like he was totally not into me, totally unattracted to me afterwards because I had said these things that were negative. He would dive deep with me into these feelings, but it was very, very different than being attracted to me as, as a partner. Hmm. And that was hard. That was like a really hard transition. But also, I think we had enough stability. And I think certainly Heart Left Hanging has even... She has much more stability and much more commitment than we had at that time. But it was kind of weathering that of just knowing that like right now he's not into me, but he also shared things with me that make me way into him. Hmm. And I wondered what you thought about that. That paradox. Yeah. Sometimes the intensity really scares people. Yeah. I could guess that it might scare men more than it scares women. So... An intensity of feelings can um, freeze both people and freeze, you know, the relationship. That doesn't mean it doesn't need to be talked about. It, it just means that there are different things that go on in a good relationship. You said at one point, if he's reluctant to talk, just let it go. Mm -hmm. And that to me seems very important because in this listener's question, she calls out... After much cajoling on my part, he admitted. Mm -hmm. So, like, what did she go through to get this out of him? And by the time yes. it came out of him, was it really fair information or was it just 
him telling you something to kind of just make you stop asking him. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. And then further down in her statement, uh, she says something that I think is also very telling, and that is something like, he's my everything or something like that. And then I went, oh, my God, that's not good. You know who I thought of when I read that sentence? Who? I thought of Esther Perel. I mean, you got to think of her. Yep, that's one of her hot buttons, all right. And then you got to figure out how to ask her that question. So that's what I set out to do. Yes. I mean, season two is all about taking it to the next level. Take it to the next level. Why not go to the most renowned couples therapist, maybe in the world? I love it. She wrote the best-selling book, Mating in Captivity, and just released a new one called The State of Affairs, Rethinking Infidelity. And she is a mesmerizing TED Talk speaker, and you will learn so much from listening to her podcast, Where Should We Begin? You should definitely check it out. But before you do, you should listen to her advice for Heart Left Hanging. Here is advice from Esther. So this is a very interesting situation here because what um, you are referring to is that part of what attracted your husband to you was that he saw in you a very confident woman. You are a confident woman, but that doesn't mean that you don't have plenty of other areas of your life for which you are anything but sure. That's what confident people feel. They're not confident about everything. They have all kinds of areas for which they have doubt and uncertainty. But the confidence is that they accept that they have those doubts and those uncertainties and and those anxieties and, and worries and all of that. So you may still be a confident person, but right now you're going through something that's really huge. And he wants maybe not just for you to have the confidence, but for you also to have the facade of confidence, that you appear strong. Because he needs you to be strong because it terrifies him when you are not. That's my guess. When someone has that kind of a reaction against it, it's because it actually scares them. And why does it scare them? Because somewhere they have the idea that if you're not strong, the only thing on the other side is weak and a puddle and fragile and brittle rather than strong has brittle in it. Of course, when a person reacts negatively to attributes in, an, in their partner, my first question is often, uh, what does it evoke in him? Why is it threatening to him? Does he feel that he has to take responsibility? Does he feel that he has to make, you know, make it go away and make it better and fix it? Does it feel like if you are going to rely on him, he can't rely on you? That's my first question I would suggest to you is ask him, what about it for you is so distasteful? I get what you like, but what is it about this that, that makes you react so strongly? Because it's not just that he has kind of some lukewarm reaction to it. He actually has a rather clear-cut reaction. And, and then find out if what he's reacting to is actually what you project or if it's just, you know, stuff that he's putting on you that doesn't really belong to you. You know, for example, he may have had mom who was much more vulnerable and much more needy of him and much more needing him to take care of her rather than her taking care of him and things like that. And so when you get vulnerable, he triggers in him that this is where this is going to lead to. And he's catastrophizing something which maybe for you would have been just a five minute conversation about something that you're upset about. But he already sees you turning into a puddle. That, to me, is the essence of, of in order to understand what you're dealing with here. From there, hopefully, 
he will learn to be less reactive to the parts of you that come to him maybe more needy, maybe needing more reassurance, um, which he should understand since he seems to really like it when you provide it to him. And for you to tell him, I'm confident and vulnerable, and that's what being human means, actually. There's nothing for you to hide from this. You've really gone through major, major shocks. And I can imagine that a part of what is gripping you is the need to be able to go to your partner and to say, I'm so scared, or this is so hard, or, uh, or will we be okay? And that maybe all you wish on occasion is for him to be able to say, it'll be all right. But maybe he himself can't say it because he's just as afraid, if not more so than you. And this is where you need people around you, you know, who have gone through similar experiences, who, talk, who can share with you the the difficult transition from to, to, to parenthood from one to two, from two to three from three to four, um, and especially when you have children who are, uh, you know, bringing up the fear of death and the fear of illness and the fear and the fragility of life that you are so close to at those moments. So um, we know that one of the most important public health crises at this point in the U.S. is loneliness. And that means that people don't have enough people to reach out to, to deal with the, dis the difficult moments, the meaningful moments of their lives. It would be nice if you could say to him and he could put his hand on your shoulder. And maybe that's a piece to tell him. You know, sometimes I don't need words. I just need you to hold me. And don't worry, I'm not going to fall apart because you're holding me. I'm actually going to be stronger. But can you put your hand on me when I feel scared? And... I hope he can. Um, you may even take his hand and you may just say, don't worry. Do you see? There's no electric shock. It helps me. It grounds me. There is nothing that calms us more than a, head on a, than a hand on a knee or on a shoulder or on a face. It goes a long way, even if you have nothing to say. Um, and teach him a little bit what you need in those moments. But these, we were never made to go through these huge life events, neither alone nor with just one plus one. So that's uh, my recommendation is not a medical recommendation. It's a social recommendation. If over time you realize that he's really not the partner to go to when you have those experiences or those feelings or those needs, make sure that you diversify your life. Make sure you have a strong network of support and other friendships and connections around you to whom you can go. And because at some point you'll have to say, when I have those kinds of issues or those kinds of worries, it's not to my husband I should go. And you may continue to say, I wish I could, I miss that I can't, it's a part in our relationship that I really would have liked to have, but in the meantime, um, I'm not going to go to him each time to experience, to have a negative experience. I'm going to go to people from whom I can expect a response that is much more satisfying to me, and that is fine. So when I hear your sentence here that says, we're both committed to the relationship and I want to be everything he needs, please don't. Please don't. You can't be everything one person needs and he can't be everything that you need. You'll be a lot and that will be great. But this notion that one person can fulfill all the needs of another is, um, to me, a utopian reality. You know, when it comes to certain pieces of your life, there are other people that are much better qualified to deal with them than your husband. And that doesn't mean there's something fundamentally missing or wrong in your relationship. 
That's the way that a relationship knows that it needs to have a circle of other people around to fit, to fill the gaps of the places where the partner is probably not the best person to go to. You probably intuitively, you know that, that there are certain things for which I'm sure you go to your girlfriend before you go to him. But when it comes to our internal life, we've decided that everything should be able to be brought to our partner and our partner owes us to be able to respond to it in the way that we need which is often in the way that we respond to them, which is why they chose us. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that they know how to do it. I want to send out a warm thank you to Esther for her wonderful answer. And uh, I have been a fan of yours. You've been one of my models for how to do couple work for years and years. I first heard you uh, through The Networker. So thank you so much. But it was so thrilling that I got to meet her, and I was super nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But um, I think telling her that I was nervous and telling her I was nervous because as far as I was concerned, she's the Beyonce of mental health. <laughs> And I think making her laugh, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I can do this. <laughs> oh, that sort of helped you. Yeah. See, that's what those idealists do, Rebecca. They just break through every barrier when it comes to, you know, doing what they want to do with people. It's a great challenge, but it's also very exciting. Yeah. Um, I have a very quick story for you about Esther. Okay. A personal experience. Mm -hmm. um, so I heard her TED Talk. She has an amazing TED Talk. I think we've talked about it before. Mm -hmm. um, and she has clearly the most beautiful uh, way of speaking. I guess you call it an accent or, you know, just her, the way that she pronounces words, I think is kind of almost like this swirl. She knows nine languages. Oh. So I think it's a swirl of so many different languages and accents kind of all come together. That's hers alone. Um, but when I first heard her Ted talk, I just started like furiously writing notes, not what partially because of what the content was but also just the way she crafted words like the way she kind of like talked about like a controlled a controlled burn and a desired fire and all this stuff and I actually like took all these notes and ended up writing a song wow. uh, that is called controlled burn based on her TED talk wow um so we ended yeah. up making a music video of that song so I'll I'll post it on the show notes but oh. um it's uh i i wanted when we when we did the publicity for the music video i wanted uh my band at the time to to promote it as like it was inspired by esther perel's ted talk and my bandmates were like that is like the most unrock and roll reason to write a song we are not using that as like why we wrote this song and i was like but that's the truth that's what it is it was the desired fire wow um so yeah uh, we'll link to her TED talk too. Oh, right. <laughs> so you can write your own songs. I didn't have the I didn't have the courage to tell her that when I met her. Uh, my producer was like, "You should tell her; she'll be so excited." And I just felt like that was almost too far into the fangirl category to tell her, mm -hmm. "Hey, um, you inspired me to write music." Mm. But she did. Well, but. I think it was good judgment that you decided to hold on to that precious piece, and she will now know when she listens to the podcast. 
That's there beautiful. You go. If you're listening to us there, I'm embarrassed for you to know that, but now you know it. <laughs> so that's our show for today. We're really excited to answer more questions in coming weeks. We can only do that if you send us those questions. So go to advicefrom.mom, send us a letter, tell us what's up with you, tell us what we can help with. Dr. Detective Mama B, you want to give a clue to what we'll be investigating next week? Next week, we will investigate a string of letters that will help you to meet your match. That was a really good detective voice. (laughs) I'm impressed. I had an amazing model. A special thanks to the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco, Stephanie Singer, and Jordan Arbell, as well as Tanya Shevitz from Reboot for helping us find a space to record Esther. Advice for Mom is a production of Wise Ones Advice Services. It is produced by Juliet Heinley and me, Rebecca Garza-Bortman. Editing by Juliet Heinley. Mixing and mastering by Jake Young. Publicity by Jane Riccobono. Esther's interview was recorded by Catherine Giardo. The music behind our letters is Scissors for Lefty, and our theme music is by my band, Love Jerks. And I can't even tell you how excited I am to alert you to our very first San Francisco show since our rock opera wedding. We'll be playing the beauteous Great American Music Hall. Uh, That is on Saturday, February 24th, as part of Noise Pop Music Festival. Yeah, it's happening. All those summer plans have become winter goodness. Okay, no entourage. We're a two-woman operation. Yeah. Two GDIs. Two GDIs, yes. Gosh darn independent! Yeah, yeah, we we don't want to offend any of those people who would be offended by the word God. Or damn. Or damn, yes. Or, what is, what is this? Oh, never mind, I'll ask you later.